Hi, I'm Andalisi. And I'm Chef James Regato. And in this episode of Essential Cooking, we talk with Antoine Pachekup. Antoine is a sommelier who has worked in wine and restaurants for a long time. He's recently taken on a new role as sales director for Motor City Seafood Company, a financial supporter of WDET. We talk about wine, cocktails, and what goes into sourcing fresh seafood like octopus, oysters, and perch. Plus, we have some fun with a rapid-fire pop quiz. You know, Antoine is one of those, like, I feel like you're like an Oz of the Detroit restaurant scene because I guarantee your favorite restaurant in Detroit, listener, dear listener, your favorite restaurant has benefited from Antoine's expertise. And you've probably consumed wines that Antoine approved or hand-selected for a list. And, I mean, you did a champagne training for our staff where I, I mean, that was probably the most education I've ever received out of a wine region in a two-hour period. And I, mean, and I think this, you're, you're probably you're the second place. So the, the next most educational experience I've had is probably you as well. And it, you're such a pillar of the wine community via restaurant wine menus. I mean, I'm glad we're talking right now because the average consumer would never know. You know, right. the average guest doesn't know where this wine comes from. I'm excited to kind of, sh- you know, talk today and shed some light on on things that maybe people don't know. Yeah, thanks for having me. I don't, I don't know. Um, I I was, have been in the restaurant wine business for a long, long time. Uh, 15 years in restaurants, eight and a half years in wholesale, and then now uh, taking the role as sales director, sales manager uh, for Motor City Seafood Company. Uh, which was a startup uh, four years ago, just under four years ago. Um, Stacy and and Matt Wiseman, um, James, you have you know amazing connections with them, and I think we're one of the first you know very early supporters of what they were doing. Uh, but they literally built this from from the ground up with you know it's five six story, five, really. five six products. Yeah, really yeah. really crazy, and now. My role, um, because you know, I, I've worked for Great Lakes Wine and Spirits for eight and a half years. Um, Great Lakes now has a, a par- our partnership stake in Motor City, so uh, we're we're partners. And they wanted somebody to help, you know, build the sales team, um, but also who could, you know, talk wine, sake, uh, spirits, you know, vermouth, all the things that would kind of go along. And then obviously, like I've taken everything that I've learned about in restaurants in my professional life, um, taking that kind of hospitality. Uh, aspect of of the business into sales and now hopefully you know into uh, into seafood sales. The the obviously interesting thing about wine is you know that you know it's shelf stable, right? That's like the, that's the the biggest difference is that you're dealing with a non um, you know fluctuating like shelf life immediately, like fish. I mean, fish, and is especially like- the stuff that we that we were selling. I mean, we we had wine. It's, it, we had rosé that tasted better two years down the road right. than it did immediately. But the but the consumer and a lot of you know restaurant buyers have this idea that like, well, if it's not this year's current vintage, I don't want to buy it. Which right? is not which accurate. is not always the case. Like <laughs> yeah. usually, you know, rosé sometimes comes out. You generally like you know fresh vintage comes out before June is in our warehouse ready to go for summer, right for our season. Yeah. Um, but those wines, a lot of time they. Times they taste way better in September, October, or even the following March. Well, I mean, when they've been in bottle, when they've had a chance to settle, you know. Oh, so that's like a whole different. Like, I feel like there's seasonality yeah, there too. Can, it's like it's like okay, uh, pumpkins are sometimes available in the end of August, you know, and then I like, try to buy fresh pumpkins in for Thanksgiving when there's already like a foot of snow on the ground. It's just like the seasonality around, um, you know, I guess like trends or like what the 
sales kind of like marketing is, is, is definitely frustrating sometimes to the, what the public wants to see versus right. like, you know, like right. pumpkin spice, for instance, doesn't oh, carry, have pumpkin in it. Like, you know, there's a lot of pumpkin spice lattes <laughs> yeah. coming, coming soon. Yeah, it's just it's, like, it's September 1st. There's so. some, yeah. There's some really interesting things. Yeah. And you know, um, so I think that there's, there's some funny things between wine and fish though, that, that do make sense because you basically, it's a consumable that's often served in a restaurant setting. Yes. So you're selling to the same audience Sure. and you're right. The flexibility of like, I sometimes want like a whole frying fish, right? Like I want to, I want to score it and deep fry it. And then we're going to smother it in like a green curry. We're going to do like a Thai style fish. Matt will often say the New Zealand snapper is a great option for it. Pound and a half. Perfect. Now, if, okay, well, I'm out of it or didn't come or they didn't catch enough, whatever goes on, he'll be like, you should switch to the, you know, whole sea bream, the Mediterranean sea bream, similar size, and it's, it's great fried and served whole. That communication is is vital. Just like when a, a, a wine will go out of vintage, you're like, hey, James, we don't have any more of this, right. you know, Chardonnay. But if you actually pour this, you know, I got this a great price in this Macon, it's like, you know, you're going to love it. It's still Chardonnay. It's just not the new world. It's like, you know, it's old world. It's the, it's the you know, the, the Burgundy. Or like even a price change. Hey, heads up. It's up. It's more, you know, it's 20% higher. I think you can charge more because it's better. And here's why. Like that kind of flexibility in sales is, 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 is what I think is going to set you apart from anybody else trying to just jump ship and go to a new career path. Because I think the way that we buy fish can be similar to the way that you have sold wine. Sure. Which is absolutely, you're basically a broker. You're an ambassador yeah. of, of, of a fish program essentially. Right. And there's a lot of ways you can buy, you know, fish in the world. And I don't think people are going to Matt because he's the, you know, easiest, cheapest option. It's, it's because it's the, it's nuanced salesmanship. Yeah. And they, and they also, you know, there were a couple of things that they did very early on, which was to be able to, to deliver on Sunday. Yep. Um, and if, if people had specs on how they wanted things prepped, I mean, they could, they could fillet, they can do whole fish, they can do head off. They can, I mean, there's, there's so many things that can happen behind the scenes and offering that and offering, you know, delivery on a Sunday when most of the our other, you know, competitors weren't going to deliver. They're like, yeah, sorry, you we, know, don't, we don't do Sundays. A lot of those, a lot of those wholesalers have the fish in the cooler. Sure. They're just not operating. Right. So it's not like you're, you know, it's not, you basically just like, you have the product, they just don't open for sales. And I think what's special is that historically Sundays and Mondays are like bad days to order fish in restaurants. Well, I, I mean, listen, yeah. we, we've heard that a million times. Of course. You don't go, you don't go have sushi on Monday night if the place was closed on Sunday, right? Because who knows what they're doing with the stuff that was fresh on Saturday right. night, but Monday afternoon might not be so good, but they couldn't get a delivery or nobody called it in or, you know. Yeah. I think so, the, and, and those days are thankfully becoming more and more yeah. a thing of the past. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is definitely like, you know, I think we're all used to the, what do you mean it's going to take six days for shipping kind of, kind of, you know, mentality. I mean, the Amazon mentality of the world, right? If you can't get something quickly and, and nobody picks up their phone, why call them? Right. Yeah. So um, to that point, um, people do have this mentality of why can't you get it to me tomorrow kind of a thing. Right. You're dealing with fish. Yes. That is not a box of Kleenex. That <laughs> is- <laughs> yeah, no, it's way, way beyond. Yeah. So yeah. Is there, is there very much that mentality of like that kind of immediacy when it comes to something like fish? I mean, from what I understand now, granted, I've never worked in a kitchen. Okay. I've worked in restaurants for, for years. Right. I did everything except, I mean, I, I washed dishes, but I never cooked. 
Um, and so I never, I mean, I always hung out with the chefs before, after, during service. Um, sometimes in the mornings I'd be there doing orders and they'd be there prepping, doing their orders. Um, so I, I don't have like, you know, super hands-on experience to answer the question, but I do know from what I've heard, it's the most perishable product that comes into your kitchen, right? Yeah. And it's probably the most, you know, because just the nature of fish for one, we're in a, essentially a freshwater landlocked area. So ocean fish, no matter what has time on it by the time it gets to Michigan, but it also has, you know, the chemical compounds and there's ways to avoid it. You can obviously, the way you butcher, the way you gut, the way you air dry, or, you know, if you like, there's a lot of things you can do to fish to, to preserve its life. But typically a whole gutted fish just sitting around does not age well in its natural state. You got to kind of handle it. Right. So yeah, if, it, if it's a day behind or if it sits on a, a, a plane too long, I mean, it does not, it just doesn't um, take a beating well as it shouldn't. I mean, we, you know, it's this very sen- time sensitive product and, you know, things like mussels and clams are living. So once they die, they're obviously, that's when they go Oysters, bad. yeah. And oysters yeah. Are, oysters are, are a little more resilient. They are alive. You're absolutely right. 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 But oysters, you know, the East Coast, they'll actually pull oysters out of the water and put them in a cellar for a couple months. I learned that when I was out there. That blew my mind. But really? an oyster can live out of water. See, I just learned something new. Yeah, it's bonkers. I had to make them explain. I was like, I made them walk me through it. I was like, hold on. You take it out of the water. You put it in a cellar. For two months. In what? And then you put it basically in a crate. It's just like sitting there. Oysters can live out of the water for like weeks and on end. So cool temperature, yeah. certain amount of humidity. Yeah. I mean, like, it's like, I mean, and these they, are caves that are essentially on the ocean, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is like basically a farmer's like essentially like a state, which I mean, can be anywhere from like a shack. Just to like, like wine. An actual, right? yeah, an actual yeah. basement. But on the East coast, specifically Duxbury, Massachusetts is where I was, you know, with Island Creek. There's shallow water that will freeze. Like the ocean obviously will have like, you know, a frozen shoreline, you know, not, not, not solid, but like, you know, chunks of ice that will basically beat up the oysters or the cages. It'll basically destroy the habitat for the oysters. So they have to come out in the colder months and go back in the water. So the oyster can basically live. And it, it's almost like a, like a bird, like a migratory bird. It knows when the season's changing and it stuffs itself and it basically it will live off the nutrients in its shell. Mussels, not. I mean, the mussels that you know brought, like the, the mussels from uh, Brittany, uh, France, are so special because of the tide change. It's like twenty-four feet or something. When you see the tide in, in Brittany, it's like dramatic. I mean, it's like you could feel like you could drive a truck out there like a mile, and then when the tide comes back, it completely submerges them. So the mussels get a complete exposure to oxygen for an extended period of time, and then a complete submersion under the ocean. And that's what makes the mussels from you know Brittany, France, so special. Because there's tides all over the world, but that right. tide is dramatic. So shellfish is unique. It can survive, you know, a decent It's a little amount. more forgiving. And but- oysters, or I'm sorry, um, lobsters ship live. Right. But again, all these things have a shelf life. And an oyster, uh, I keep saying, a lobster that dies basically almost immediately starts releasing ammonia. So if you buy a dead lobster, let it sit around for a, uh, a day and then cook it, I mean, you're, you're, it's basically going to taste like, you know, like poison. And it actually can it can make you sick too. Nice, never, nice choice of words, by the way. Yeah, poison. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's true. But you know, but that's just to me. It goes back to salesmanship, and I think what Matt does, what separates Motor City, because you can I mean, you can buy a lot of nice fish. I mean, there's a lot of nice fish out there. Matt does not have the only nice fish in the world. He does have very nice fish, but you can get some nice fish out there. 
Right. But the salesmanship is what's going to set them apart, which is why I, I, you know, I think you are the right man for the job, right person for the job. I think it's salesmanship. It's also, it's also product knowledge. And then the, I mean, the other thing is like, you know, I'm not coming from like, I, I didn't sell like football helmets for, for example, like, right. I'm not, I wasn't selling widgets and the relationships are already there. You yeah. and I are sitting down talking. My, my world is going to expand a little bit because like, you know, we were small. I had 125 accounts. We sold to probably 700 accounts at the, our division within Great Lakes. Great Lakes sells to everybody who has a liquor license in, in Michigan. Um, but I have relationships with those people, and I and I get what happens behind the scenes. So that some product knowledge, and then you know, and we we just uh, hired a new salesperson. He worked. He's chef background, but then worked for a relatively large seafood company down in, uh, in the South. He was, he was, they've covered like six States, but he was in North Carolina. So he, I mean, he gets it too. He's like, listen, I can, I can come in and you don't know what to do with scorpion fish. I can come in and show yeah. you what to do with scorpion fish. Right. Um, as opposed to you just buying the fish not knowing what to do, screwing it up, thinking that we're selling you bad products and then right. moving on. Right. right. Um, and it's kind of, that whole idea is kind of like, you know, we, we would go taste the wine with the wine buyer to make sure that they were happy with it, that it was going to yeah. work with their right menu. temperature, that's the right, right pairings. And that, you know, that's why we, we generally, I don't know if it's legal or not anyways, but we would normally never leave samples of, of wine because if somebody's inexperienced or doesn't, you know, cork taint's a big thing, right? Like I normally would have maybe open this bottle before I came here just to make sure that I didn't have a buy, bad bottle. I do have a backup, by the way, just in case. <laughs> Pro tip. Um, but, you know, you you want to make sure that that your customer also understands sometimes a product that they they might not, not be familiar with. But the the relationship gets you to go, hey, man, if that's – if okay, I, I need this on the menu. It's on the menu for the weekend. But like you said earlier, I don't have Red Snapper, but I have an alternative. Yeah. Here's three things we can do for right. you that would work. You know? you know, Matt just brought, he just brought me octopus and he was like, hey, this is like a tenderized thing, which is not a big deal. They basically jacquard it. They basically spike it with needles and it pushes some of the moisture out. So it's essentially like a, a higher yield product because it's been tenderized. Um, which again, like you can look it up, it's jacarding. It's like you can actually buy them for like meat. Basically, it's a bunch of spiky needles. You just kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen those. I always thought that was a gimmick. You know, it's, it, for for octopus, it's actually pretty. It's a solid idea because it pushes the moisture out. Okay. An octopus, when you cook a whole octopus, like if you just buy one, like whatever, wild at the store, it's about it's like you get like a thirty five percent yield. So sixty wow. or you know, so yeah, so sixty five percent is water. So right. if, you know, if you buy ten pounds, you're gonna get like you know. 3.5 pounds of product. It's crazy. So when you when you essentially jacquard it, you kind of push some of the water out so you get a higher yield. So he just came to me with this new, like, hey, this octopus is tenderized. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he explained it to me. I cooked it. It's a beautiful product. And it's got about a 65% yield. Makes more sense, obviously. So the price fluctuates. You know, hold my hand a little bit. Explain it to me. Let me taste it. Okay, now I'm all in. And, I, you know, it's, it's, an easier, it's an easier sell. Yeah. And I think... Some of the things like a chef or, you know, Matt has a chef background too. Sure. You know, I mean, because some inexperienced chefs, I think Matt talked about this with us, and, you know, if a chef says, hey, Antoine, I want to do monkfish crudo, right. you know, you're like, hey. I can't let you do that because monkfish carries, you know, parasites. You cannot eat monkfish raw. Some, unfortunately, some chefs need to be told that. Even halibut. I mean, some chefs will serve halibut. I see it around. Halibut has a decent amount of worms and parasites. Right. I don't recommend you eat it. Raw, you can I mean, do whatever you want, but like I wouldn't serve raw halibut in my restaurant. I, I, lear I learned that this week. It's called a histamine fish. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. So you, you know, <laughs> I think See? It, there it is. There yeah. you go. You're layering up my knowledge. Those are some of the things that you know. Again, 
Motor City Seafood can kind of hold your hand through. Yes. You know, I don't need to know about what fish to not serve raw, but the, with the tenderized octopus yield conversation was, that was, that was new to me. Yeah. You know, so I think that, um, again, that's really what separates, you know, salesmanship from just a, a wholesale account. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, like business philosophy, I think was, was, a, it's a really easy transition because what I've been doing with little guy, what I did with, um, restaurants now, what, what, you know, kind of Matt has, has developed, um, that idea of like, we're going to have really, really great product and and we're going to know everything we can about it to make sure that it sells. Right. And that's the ultimate goal. Um, that idea is, you know, was, was like, that was the, one of the easiest job transitions for, for me, sure. ever, you know, well, I haven't officially started, you know, full time <laughs> yet, because, but <laughs> in theory, um, that's what kind of made me think, okay, yeah, this is, this, this is a, a, a really good move. It's, it's going to be weird being away from wine, but, um, you what? Know, I might enjoy you, it more. You can drink while you're on the call. So. Yeah. <laughs> As newsrooms across the country close their doors, independent and unbiased journalism is more crucial than ever. We rely on you just like you rely on us. This spring fundraiser, join us in protecting public media. Your support keeps us thriving. Invest in WDET's next chapter at WDET.org or tap donate in our mobile app. From the relationship between you, the buyer, you, the wholesale seller, James, when you're getting, like, your restaurant's a little different because you're the kind of chef that could say, what do you got? Or maybe, what do you have a lot of? Right. Or whatever. But then there are certain restaurants who always have the Bronzino on the menu or, right. or what have you. Um how does that conversation go with you? Do you say, this is what I really want to make? Or do you usually say, what is the best thing you have, yeah. or maybe for the best price, or you have too much of this, and I'll figure out what to do with it. Right. How do those conversations go, like for you or for maybe other chefs, to get? And we, we and I'm always like mindful, like the timing is such an issue now. Yeah. You know, it's not like other foods. You know, there's a timing issue. How does that work? How does that conversation play out so that you can ultimately make the best thing for your customer, for your your clientele? And for you to be able to sell, your job is to sell as much fish as possible um, to people that can actually do something with it. Yeah, for me, I definitely, um, I cook what I want to eat and I, I like to eat very seasonally. So I kind of, I'm aware of when soft shell crab starts. I'm aware of when bay scallops are around. You know, I'm aware when halibut season starts or Copper River salmon. So that dictates a lot. Matt will send out a weekly um, blast of like what uh, he has I going see. on. So that's obviously very wise mm -hmm. for him to do. Yep. Matt Wiseman, obviously. Yes. Um, up to, lives up to yeah. his name. Yeah. Just kidding. Don't tell me. Let's just that. check his, his, uh, <laughs> no. his, his just kidding. Yeah. Um, but you know, so I, I definitely um, am motivated by seasonality, but I do, I will check in with Matt and be like, Hey, is there anything you're excited about? Like there's, a, I think it's the El Alfonsina. I, I always mispronounce it, but the golden eyed snapper, and we talked about this when Matt was on the air with you, Ann. Mm -hmm. The golden eye snapper is one of the best raw eating fish I've ever tasted in my life. Right. And he was the one who was like, hey, James, you got to try this. It looks like a crazy giant goldfish. It's the most delicious thing ever. So I bought it and I fell in love with it. He doesn't get, it's like a, I think it's like a bycatch of his New Zealand snapper people. So he doesn't really get a lot of it. But when he does, I'll totally buy it. So he knows I love it. And he knows that I'm available to buy it whenever it's available. So like that kind of relationship, 
is just like, you know, like anything else, time. You know, Antoine knows things about me in the wine world where he's like, hey, right. James loves that Vizarco cart 2012. You should buy the last 12 bottles of it. And I will. So like there's things that we just, relationships will lean to. But I like to buy seasonally. But with all my vendors, I will check in and say, hey, what looks great? Or what do you have a lot of? Or what, it, you know, what is, um, you know, what um, what's coming up that I can keep my eye on? So that, that's definitely, you're right. Everything you just said. I mean, you're, you're pretty much spot on with how most chefs purchase. If you do go to a restaurant and you see a fixed price fish year round, I would just be a little leery. You know, like a lot of, for instance, a lot of Michigan tourist towns will offer, you know, whitefish, walleye, and perch year round. Well, perch is definitely not available year round and perch is also pretty expensive. If you buy fresh perch right now, wholesale, I mean, actually, I, haven't, I shouldn't say right now. I haven't looked in a long time, but it's always in the high teens. You know, so 18, 19, maybe 13 if it's like, you know, a, a plentiful, but it's purchase expensive. So it's all about 100% yield. You just split it down the middle. It's already butterflied for you. Okay. Now, if you go to a restaurant and you see like perch dinner, especially when it just says perch dinner. seven ninety nine. Yeah. That's a, that's a, it's a, that's a Russian frozen fish. It's called Xander. Xander or Xander? I think it's Xander. Um, but it's a, it's a perch, you know, quote, it's a perch and it's frozen and it's from Russia. These like Russian lakes they fish it on. It's available year round. You can buy it. Cisco carries it. All the big wigs, you know, company carries it. That's one of the biggest. Um, but it's not really perch. It's perch. It's, perch. it's not Great Lakes perch. Yeah, it's uh, not Great Lakes fresh perch. Right. Let's okay. put it that way. So like to me, there's All a right. lot of that in the fish industry. So I would always, you know, and I mean, I'm not trying to be a, a jerk when I go out to eat ever, obviously. But I've asked <laughs> and I'm like, is this, is this fresh perch? Yeah, yeah, it's fresh. I'm like, I was like, okay, like. Really? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, are you sure? And like, I literally was like, I've one time, one, and I'm not proud of it. I, I once was like, I want to see it. <laughs> I was like, go get it. Go get, go get me the raw fish and show me. And then she came back and was like, no, it's, you know, it's frozen. It's previously frozen. It was, it was a Zender. And like, I'm not against eating that product, but I'm just like, I will go with a fresh white fish or a fresh walleye right, right. over, you know what I'm saying? Like, tell me what is, and honestly, most of these, these, bartenders or servers will just tell you straight up like, yeah, you know what? You should get the white fish. It's the best right now. So most of these like small town, you know, fish spots right. will tell you like, you know, I, I go to, um, Scalawags, which is this like, is it, Ma I'm not a big fan of Mackinac city. I'm sure the three of us aren't, you know, it's a very touristy fudge driven town and that's not really for my speed, but Scalawags is this little gem in Mackinac city where they just serve up just really simple fried fish, white fish chowder, fried walleye. It's just like, it's just good fried fish. And just ask them, just ask the kid behind the counter. He'll tell you, oh, you know, a walleye came in really fresh. Get the walleye. Like most places they'll tell you. Right. Sometimes it's like, what do you know that I don't? Who is ice fishing perch for this restaurant? Right. Sometimes it's like right. a legit, like, wait a second. I want to go down this rabbit hole. And I have been, I've been, you know, I remember, um, I think, I think when I was at, when Sarah, when Sarah Welch was at Republic, she was the one that told me about the carrots in dirt at, Cherry Capital, they will like store the carrots in the dirt over the winter and harvest them as they go. You know, basically you bring in like a, basically a trough of dirt with carrots in them. Like a, like a raised bed? More or less, but it's okay. like essentially out of the ground and it's like in a, like a barn or something. Cool. So I was unaware that you could get carrots all winter long from Cherry Capital. And so like, there's moments where I'm like, wait a second, explain yourself. And I'm not like, I'm not grilling you because I'm like mad. I'm like, no, educate like, wow. me yeah. so I can then use this product as right. well. Yeah. You I, know, yeah. <laughs> one thing that I will do when I go out is like, when I go to, cause I like a gin and tonic is a great, um, I don't know this bar or trust this bar cocktail. Yes. But we all I have also, our benchmarks. I've, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, 
what kind of tonic do you pour? Because a lot of times, for one, gin and tonic is not a very popular drink in a you know in a, in a weird establishment or like a dive, dive, dive bar, or whatever. Yeah. And like I'm always like crossing my fingers that it's like a little you know like the little individual eight ounce Schweppes or like you know hopefully fever tonic, fever I mean, tree, yeah, yeah, fever tree, but or, like a, a yeah. doubtful you know whatever Schweppes or you know some kind of small, just at least small. And whenever you see him pull out like the one liter and it's like a third left, I'm like, oh my god! You know? Or the gun. Yeah, I mean the gun. I mean honestly, though, I'll take the gun for the CO2 level. Yeah, because like, I, I don't expect to get a great tonic flavor, but like it's most about the carbonation. And I go to some places and I'm like, if I get a gin and tonic, it's just like dead flat, and I'm like, Ugh. well, so so, like- <laughs> so brands like like Fever Tree that are that are really, really interesting. So they came out with 150 milliliter cans, but their normal size was 200 milliliters because the gin and tonic should be about you know, one quarter to three quarters right. spirit to, and and generally served in a bigger glass, right? right? If you get it, you know, especially in Spain, which you wouldn't think gin and tonic no, is that's big. Those, but, that's but the that drink is of like Spain. essentially the, the national drink outside of obviously wine and sangria and sherry and things like gin that. Gin and tonic is the, is the oh, drink yeah. in Spain. If, oh, you, yeah. if you go to Madrid, every second bar has a massive menu of gin and tonics with like all these different kinds of gin, um, all these different kinds of tonic garnishes. Um, garnishes. I mean, we stayed in this incredible hotel in Madrid that uh, they pour it into the the glass, the wine glass they poured it into was probably cost more than the booze and the mixers and the garnish and the ice. And I'm like, okay, I you know that you're getting a proper. Oh, yeah. So like glassware again. You know, we go back to this. This is why. Not, I, not that I didn't think you would have glassware here, but I figured you know why not. Um, glassware is usually important too. Oh, it's so. huge. You know, if you go to Jose Andres, any of his restaurants, Bazaar in Hollywood for one, um, I, I think it's Hollywood. It might just be, it might just be outside, maybe West Hollywood or even like downtown LA. I can't remember, but Jose Andres restaurants have like such a gin and tonic experience because obviously he's you know Spanish chef. But yeah, I, mean, I remember like it's like a it's like a terrarium of like little <laughs> tiny garnishes on crazy ice cubes, and they they just give you a bottle of tonic and then like the gin and a carafe, and you basically like mix it yeah, to your leisure, make, and yeah, like it's make just your own. To me, I yeah. mean, like, but I will order a gin and tonic at a generic wedding too. And just, I don't, I'm not like, I'm not that big of a diva. I really just want carbonation and like a, a, a thinned out gin essentially. Right. But I feel like a, nothing, like a, there's nothing worse than a flat tonic, you know, and a, like a, a gin, it just tastes like, it just tastes like terrible Sprite essentially. Yeah, right. Yeah. But most of it's way too sweet anyways. So I know. Yeah. yeah. I know. But what, what is your, you're at a, you're at a wedding with a not so good bar. What so is it's, so it's funny. Usually gin and tonic. Okay. Yeah. And but then I, then now like I kind of look like oh what kind of tonic? Do they yeah, have? I know. You know. I've never thought I'd become like a tonic uh, diva. You know, <laughs> you could give me the the worst gin in the world but with a great tonic. I'm like okay, fine, I can deal with that. But then you you kind of survey like the last wedding I went to was actually it's been a couple of years. Um, most of my friends are already either married or or you know long since divorced. Second marriages coming, oh, yeah. in. maybe that. second marriages. <laughs> and you don't always get invited to those, and you don't yeah. always want to go to those <laughs> either. True. Um, but they had uh, Dolan. They had you know this dry vermouth that that we sell that that's fantastic, and they were pouring pretty great sparkling wine. So I was doing dry vermouth Ooh. and and uh, sparkling wine in like a in a highball like kind spritz. of yeah yeah. yeah. Um, that's nice, which is great because it's low alcohol too. Yeah, so, you know, exactly. you somebody's got to drink, drink all night. Yeah. <laughs> what? So, what about you, Anne? What's your go? You go to a wedding and you're like, this bar is not trustworthy. Oh, I I'm like a gin and tonic. Gin and tonic, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It sounds right. the safest. Yeah. And yeah. It, it usually it, is. It sounds like especially a, at a busy put, bar. Give me a little lime to make sure. Yeah. And yeah, gin and tonic for yeah, especially for like, sure. I like when they're like when they're really busy because you're like, oh yeah, they're just crushing through soda and tonic, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. yeah. The yeah. ice is fresh. Yeah, yeah. They're just busy. I love. 
I love a busy bar. Oh yeah, for sure. All right, so I, I got a couple, and I'm sure, and you probably have like I said more intelligent things to say than I do. No. But just to, I always <laughs> like picking your brain because you always have great. I want to give you two choices on a couple of things, and I want you to answer me as quick as you can, and it doesn't need to be too in depth. But, <laughs> but um, cheap champagne or expensive cava? Expensive cava, like without a doubt. Right. Pilsner or IPA? Pilsner, hundred percent. Okay. Um, green chartreuse or yellow chartreuse? Okay. So I mean, if 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 I have to, yeah, I'm pouring you one right now. You only get one. It's going to be green, although I do love yellow. Okay. But yeah, but, there, but but yellow tends to me to be a little bit softer and too sweet, whereas I so I like the higher herbal balance of of green. Favorite vodka. Oh man, I know it's a um, weird kind. Of, that's probably favorite vodka is probably an oxymoron, but that's a tough one. I, I mean, I, I don't even know. Can I answer this, Sid? Are you listening? <laughs> um, favorite vodka? I, I mean, unfortunately, you might have to cut this out. It's probably Kettle One. Okay, um, that's one of our competitors. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, you know, I don't know. It, it, I don't like Tito's. I can. I'll, I actually, it's it's not even because they're just everywhere, and I feel like they're they're like they inundated the market. But it's I just don't think it tastes very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Honestly, I, I I drink the Kirk, I drink the Kirkland brand, the French Kirkland hey, brand. Kirk, Kirkland is dominating the liquor scene right now. It's I crazy. mean, it, it's. We, Costco, we've done wine Costco. tastings. It's actually, it's actually pretty. No, I know. Good. Kirkland it's got some texture. It's not hot. Kirkland holds their own, man. That's, yeah. the, that's no. That's you no know? question. All right. Yeah. Uh, McDonald's or Burger King? Neither. Now, come on. You got to answer. For what? Doesn't matter. filet fish You and I are starving, and there's Actually, two places. Matthew Wiseman said- He likes he, the filet fish He had good things to say about the filet fish I, 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 don't, I don't mind the filet fish There you go. So McDonald's. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. If, if, I, if I had to pick, yeah, I'd probably go McDonald's. All right. Yeah. Um, McCone or Chablis? Chablis, but right. but it's a minefield. Okay, so I, I so I, I know I know this is rapid round, but if, but I'm, but the Chablis when it's great better than Macon. But there are there are yeah. a, there's a lot more good Macon out there and available from great producers that are just undiscovered. Right, um, and there's a lot more organics going on down in in Macon than there are in Chablis. So it it, it kind of depends. Like if I had to pick one, like we're we talking. Premier Grand Cru from a really kick-ass producer like Gilbert Peak, yeah, Chablis. But it like in general, and then price point wise too. My if if I'm in a restaurant like if if there's a deep white burgundy list, the Macon list there's always going to be a gem. Whereas like Chablis, you're going to play you're going to pay twice. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, expensive Napa cab or yes, moderately <laughs> priced Bordeaux. <laughs> Um, probably moderate price Bordeaux oh, from the right wow. bank. All right, all right. Yeah. That's good. I, I like that. Because I'm, I'd, I'd rather drink two things with a group than one expensive bottle. Yeah. And I'm often disappointed by Napa unless it's old and it's from a not hot vintage. Okay. Too much alcohol, too much oak, just in general for my palate. Love to sell it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would have to go right, Bordeaux. These are good. Yeah. So what, what... What is what what is your, the favorite glass of wine you've ever had? Or and I've asked Madeline Trevon this, and she had a great answer. But death row, it's over. You have one 
bottle of wine you can obviously open, right? Or glass of wine. But, you know, what is your last death row or desert island? Because you're a nice guy. You'd probably never be on death row. Desert island. <laughs> one bottle can be trapped from a, a helicopter down to you parachute. One bottle of wine. What is your last bottle of wine? So it would be champagne, definitely. And it would probably be, Amen. It, it would probably be the same bottle that really got me to, like, first close my eyes and go, wow which was 82 salon. I was a server. I was like 21. Um, it was one of those like, you know, kind of like crusty old dude, uh, like food and wine society in, yeah. in this place in Chicago. They brought all their wine for lunch. Um, and they had multiple bottles of 82 salon and they, you know, I, I'm helping with wine service, opening, learning how to open older bottles. Um, and he's like, have a glass. And I, like, it was the first time I stuck my nose in a glass. Like I grew up around wine, drinking pretty good wine, even as like a teenager, you know, little sips here and there with my uncle um, and my family in France. But that was the first time I was like, wow. Like I had I had no idea that wine could, and, and that's what's so great about champagne because it's the it's the five senses, right? Like you can even hear it, you know, yeah. if, you, if you stick your ear to the Ain't glass. Doesn't um, it make my champagne so bad? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, going to bring some, but I didn't know if I could keep it 82 salons, you could absolutely bring <laughs> No, no, no. no. I, I, trust me. I don't, I don't even know where I would find that. Yeah. You'd have to go on. If anyone has any 82 or... salon, please FedEx it to Andalusi <laughs> Essential Cooking, WDT right. Studios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will um, reconvene for that. So, you know, I, I don't know if that would be the bottle, but like if I had to pick one bottle, yeah. you know, the, like the bottle that got me that much into it where I would go, wow, because I, I was on a different career path. I mean, I was in restaurants forever, grew up around food and wine, but I was on my way to medical school. It was actually six months away when I decided to go back into the restaurant business. Yeah. Um, and But that was the like the one memory of my like early restaurant career that made me go, okay, like this is something that I, I can – that will get me up in the morning, you know? I can still almost still like kind yeah. of smell it, Damn, you know? Clearly. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, so let's say somebody out there is like an open-minded person, average American, walking the earth that's like indifferent to wine. What do you think, I mean, because mine is ice, I mean, I want to say champagne, but what do you think is the one wine that you would say, like, what, what is the one worm on the hook for the average American walking the earth where you're like, wine's cool, man, you'll like it. And they're like, okay, prove it. What do you, what's the one thing you're pouring? What is the worm on the hook of, of the wine world to the average American? American. I would probably say some sort of rosé from Provence. Because I think it's not just a glass of wine. It also sparks a conversation. Because I think, I mean, I, I still, you know, even as our our level of knowledge and the, and the customer base and, you know, um, I guess the just the general interest in, in wine as it evolves, um, people still think that, Pink wine is sweet, yeah, right. Good point. And so you you can and you can pour like especially structured uh, Provence rosé that can you know can age, yeah. Um, at in that right window, I mean, you can serve it all year round. You could do it in December. You can and you're do t- it, yeah. And you're talking you know, about it's red grapes, but it's kind of to the white wine. So you've palette. got structure yeah. and, and texture, and you've got fruit, but it could be a little bit chilled. I think you know the the biggest thing where people get turned off with wine is bad service, right? They're drinking white wine way too cold. They're drinking red wine, way too hot. Right, right. Never in the middle. And you know, the, if if red wine's too co- too hot or too cold, it can it either it comes off as too tannic or too tannic, right? Yeah. Or it doesn't smell like anything yeah. if it's too too cold. So, so what? So what? What? What rosé from Provence right now you think is drinking? Like, I mean, I, ha- I I have a soft spot in my heart for Closey Bone. 
Yeah, and that's uh, on a lot of lists. Which is which is an, an amazing property. That's around though, Cozy Bowl. You can Country get that at a lot of restaurants. You can, yeah, and you can find it at pretty much any top retailer. So Cozy Bowl, uh, that's C I B O N N E. Yep. And so from Provence, France. Right. Obviously, it snuggle, snuggles with the border of Italy. I think that if you know we can we can make a trade. I think Italy should take Provence because it's the best part of France, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but well, hey, it was. I mean, it was. It, it's all. It's all been. You no, know, I know. There's okay. been a border. Borders, shift. Been, yeah, yeah. There's like right, there's a thin border. Right. But that's a good. So, closey bone, rosé right now available in a lot of stores. What temperature would you serve it at? So I would treat it more like a serious white wine, probably like 45. Yeah, and so then put, let, it, let it warm up and do, don't be afraid to decant either. Okay. Um, like a, a good decanter that you know can hold just a bottle of wine, just. Pulling the cork, pouring it into the de- the decanter can wake up the wine, you nice. know, like like you wouldn't believe, and it can also warm it up pretty quickly. So if it's a little yeah, bit so too like, cold, so put it in the fridge overnight. You pull it out at dinner the next day. You pour it into a decanter. You can even pour it into like a water pitcher. It doesn't have, you don't have to go buy a decanter? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. And have just kind of swoosh it around a little bit. Yep. Pour it in your glass, and if you let it sit for probably like I mean honestly three minutes, it's probably at that forty five degrees. Yep. So uh, so if anybody others. That's listening wants to get into wine, closey bone rose, 45 degrees, decant a little bit, close your eyes, put it to your lips. If you don't like it, there's no hope for you. Well, especially if you're a, if you have a party of six, forget the decanter. Just just pour every, push, pour everybody four ounces, <laughs> yeah. and 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 everybody's gonna be happy. But there's a reason why that bottle of wine is on a ton of lists around town. We've carried it a bunch. Yeah, it's it's Fantastic. it's it's one of the it's one of those wines that you know we we think rosé, we think Memorial Day to Labor Day. It's like that that doesn't that that doesn't work. Like white pants, right? Right. <laughs> is that a, is that still a rule? Know, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, shoes, I don't wear a lot of white pants. What is because, it, man? It's still a rule. Okay, it's still a rule. It's still, still a talk rule. about it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think we have bigger things and more important things to think about. Yeah, but right, right. I would it's agree. It's still apparently a rule. Yeah. What about pink pants in, in <laughs> after Labor Day? Pink pants and white wine, that's what you go to. <laughs> there you go. Day. Pink pants all, ar- all year round. Yeah. Pink pants, pink pants and rosé all year yeah, round. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thanks good. Thanks for having me. Thank you, you very much. Great. Cheers, And you guys. thank you for the wine. Cheers yeah. indeed. Absolutely. Do you want another I'll have another little splash. Thank you. Our thanks to Antoine Pachekup for joining us, to you for listening. And we would like to thank La Marca Prosecco for their support. From the hills of Veneto, Italy, you can never go wrong with Prosecco, whether it's in a spritz or drinking straight. Joan Isabella is our executive producer with producer David Lyons. Editing, mixing, and mastering by Sam Bobian. Original music by the Mallet Brothers. This is a production of WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Mm-hmm.